0: Well, good morning. 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 It's good to have everybody here today. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 3. I I want you to imagine with me, I mean, we, we are tonight going to be watching the best of the best play football. But suppose you've been hired as the new coach of a team that's lost all of its games, and you're coming to uh, the preseason training camp. You, you, your name's just been announced that it's you. Um, there's all kinds of walk-ins because the team is so lousy they need whatever they can get. What would you say to that group? I mean, I, 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 I mean, you only have a couple weeks to prepare them for the season. And it's all about pleasing the owner. So you're hired, you're there you're going to probably play it straight with the group because there's not a lot of time. You're going to tell them, this isn't something we play around with. This is the real deal. And you better be ready. And if the people that aren't, the people that aren't ready are off the team. I mean, you think a little bit about the dynamic and the things you would say in that moment. Maybe that gives you a little sense of what John the Baptist is facing when he steps on the scene. Now, in Luke's gospel, we learn a lot about John's birth up to his birth and a little bit about it about the fact that he, he was a young man and at some point he went out into the wilderness, perhaps as a teenager, perhaps his parents had passed away. And from Luke's perspective, he's out there in the wilderness and we're going to wait until the man's 30 years of age until he comes back on the scene. He's going to come back on the scene and he's going to talk to a people whose game hasn't been very well for hundreds of years. And he's the coach preparing them for the season, which is going to start very soon. So watch what he says and look at what we can learn about him as we work through the text. So let's, let's go, go here to chapter 3 of Luke verse 1. Notice how the text begins, and you have notes, the the notes you have, I'm working through the notes, but I'm not going to like read the notes, and that to me gets kind of boring. You have the notes, you can use them however you want. I'm going to kind of read the text and and make some points along the way. So Luke chapter 3, verse 1, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, it's around 26, 28, 27 AD, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was Tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis. And Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene. And the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. I want to show you something here. Maybe. Uh, you know what? I have to always remember to turn it on. That's probably where, I, that's probably my... Ah, go back one. Ah, there we go. And don't worry about memorizing the map. No tests, okay? No tests. Here's what I want you to realize. Luke starts out by saying, let's look at the world that John steps into. And if you're just a normal person living in the Roman Empire, you're thinking, man, Tiberius is Caesar Augustus of all of this. And as you get closer to Palestine... Yes, uh, Herod Antipas is in this area, and this person, Pontius Pilate, is down here, and and Philip's up there, and Lysanias is up there. And if you want to switch from the political to the religious, you've got these high priests. And you know what God says? That's not where I'm doing my thing. I'm doing my thing out in the wilderness. When my word comes to a prophet by the name of John. God is doing things all around the world. Yes, God does things in Washington. But God doesn't need Washington to do anything. God steps into the wilderness. And through John, he brings the most important message about the most important person that ever lived. And it's not Tiberius. Do you see? So, notice what the text says. I don't even remember my next slide is here. Oh, okay. I don't know if I'll read that one or not. I think, matter of fact, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you this. John was significant enough of an individual with enough influence that you don't just read about him in the Bible. This is a quote that comes from an ancient Jewish historian by the name of Josephus. Who writes around seventy after seventy in the seventies and eighties and nineties, and when he looks back and writes about the Jews, he even mentions Jesus at a point. He was impressed by this guy, and he understood the baptism. Now he didn't understand it correctly, but he understood there was a baptism that John talked about. And all I, I'm not like I said I'm not going to read it. Just I want you to know, John out in the wilderness. I mean, can you imagine he comes walking up, he's got a camel hair outfit on, a leather belt. What's he eat? Locusts and honey. I don't know about you, I was over in uh, China uh, about a year and a half ago with my son. I was over there teaching, and we were walking up in in Beijing. They have this one road you go down, and they, they fry... And put on a stick almost everything imaginable. I'm not kidding you. I mean, there was nothing that you could imagine that wasn't on a stick. I mean, pretty gross looking, interesting things. Because they they just eat it all. They eat it all. And so this guy's diet out in the wilderness was locusts. And I guess he would put honey on top and put honey on anything, I suppose. But I mean, he comes walking out of nowhere in the wilderness and starts preaching up and down. And God so uses him that a a Jewish historian later, when he thinks back about Palestine, who doesn't like most of the prophets in the first century, because he says they create all kinds of problems, but he looks at this guy and says, this guy is pretty special. So it's interesting the kinds of people God can use. Okay, notice what the text says. Verse 3, he came into all the districts around Jordan, preaching A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Here it is. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Isaiah chapter 40. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine shall be filled up. And every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The crooked shall become straight and the rough road smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Stands on the scene, and as Luke looks at that, he says, This is Isaiah. Isaiah said there will be a guy out in the wilderness calling people that need deliverance. And he will say, Get ready, because the season's about ready to begin. And you got to be prepared. You prepare the way for that king. And that king, when he comes, when it's all said and done, he will turn the world upside down. Now it began in his first coming, didn't it? We still await the second coming to put the whole story together. That's all true. But John says, the season's about ready, man. If you're going to be on this team, you've got to be ready. Let me um, take just a moment talks through with you so that we're very clear about something because it's very, very important. There are religious movements because they get this wrong. Don't teach the gospel. It's very, very important. He mentions repentance, forgiveness, baptism, and fruitfulness in this passage. We're going to read about it. We're going to read about all those elements. Do you become a Christian by becoming Baptized. Does God say you don't get into heaven unless you're baptized? You know there's some groups that teach that? But that's heresy, folks. You are saved by grace through faith alone. In the Bible, we sometimes will use the word faith. Sometimes we'll learn, we use the word repentance. They're flip sides on the same coin. That's all it is. But a person becomes a follower of Christ, becomes well, we would say born again, a Christian, whatever term you want to use, because they repent. And when they repent, the effect is that they're forgiven. And in the scripture, baptism is the occasion where people publicly declare that. Many of you have been baptized. Not to become a Christian, because you are. And you want to publicly say, you you go public. And you say, I'm a follower of Christ and I want you guys to know it. Do you see? And the last element John's going to bring out in this passage is fruitfulness. Does Doug Finkbeiner ultimately go to heaven because he's a good person? No. Do religions sometimes teach that? Yes. Doug Finkbeiner repents. I turn from my agenda and what I want to his agenda and who he is, right? And, and, and when I turn, it doesn't mean I'm a perfect person. It just means I'm oriented in the right direction, right? I'm, like I'm going this way now. I was going that way, now I'm going this way. And it's all about Jesus and his forgiveness and who he is and what he can do in my life and following him. I, I, that's it, I'm re, I repent, I'm reoriented, that's it. But I'm not perfect, good grief, I got miles to go. I'm reoriented. And at that point, I'm forgiven. But because I'm a new person in Christ, because I am now his, I began to walk with him. We were talking in Sunday school. It's not perfectionism. We don't work, walk perfectly with him, do we? What well, most of us do in our faith walk is this. We go about three steps forward, then what do we do? Back pedal, sit down, look around, right? Do all kinds of things. Then we get reoriented. No, it's all about Jesus, and we, we move on again. But here's the point a true believer will manifest the reality of their faith in the way they live. There will be some fruitfulness in their life. There will be. And that's part of what John's going to say here. There is repentance. There is forgiveness. Baptism is an occasion to communicate that. And there is a lifestyle change, not perfectionism, a redirection and progress in one's life. So listen to what John says. Verse 7. He therefore began saying to the multitude who were going out to be baptized by him. Now how do you like this for an introduction? They're coming out. Hey, did you hear about John? He's the the prophet. Yeah, let's go out and hear it. This would be really great. I can't wait to hear his introduction. Thank you, folks. It's good to be with you here today. You brood of vipers. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, that would explain the camel hair. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, what are, you, what are you thinking with that whole thing, you know? And, and sometimes, you know, when you look at that, you think to yourself, you know, John, that's a little bit hard. Why not say thanks for coming? I have some good news for you. <laughs> Can you believe the good news if you don't, first of all, believe the bad news? John knew he was dealing with a group that often depended upon their heritage for being in favor with God. And so, what he says here is not like, I gotcha, I want to nail you, I want to get. No, no, no. What he's trying to do here is saying these people have to see where they are. You cannot, he's going to go on to say, you cannot trust in the fact that you are Abraham's offspring. That at the end of the day means nothing when it comes to the Messiah. Well, it means something. It points you in the right direction, I suppose. But not ultimately. So he says, let me tell you where you really stand. See, there's vipers over there that always cut... At, try to get out of the way and so forth. When, or when they do come out, they bite you. I mean, everything you think about them is evil and sinful. You may even think of Satan, the serpent. Okay? But, but, but the point is, you are a brood that is as far away from God as imaginable. Don't trust in who you are. And there is wrath ultimately coming from God. You're in a bad state. That's the consequences that is is yours. And I want you to know, I'm going to tell you some really good news. But before I tell you the good news, I have to tell you the bad news. One of the things you'll find all the way through Luke's gospel, there was one group of individuals Jesus cannot save. The people that don't think they need it. And it is God's mercy that he tells us who we are. (laughs) So, you know, when I read this, I think like, man, it's a little bit edgy. It's actually quite gracious when you really think about it. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that come? Well, you should have heard it. The prophets have been saying it for hundreds of years. Here I am. Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. When you, here, here's the thing that's really important. Tim and I were talking about this the other day. Um, the most important thing from the Old Testament when it comes to all these promises is not that you're Jewish, but that you're connected to the Abrahamic promises. Isn't it true? Through Abraham, everyone will be blessed. And what happens is God then works through a nation which is unfaithful to him. It gets real big. And then what does it do? As you continue reading. It all comes. All those promises come down on one person. Jesus Christ. And then it moves again. Whoever knows him. As Paul says in Galatians. or children of Abraham. Do you see? It's all about being connected. To the blessings from Abraham. Through the Messiah. He says look. From these stones. I could raise up children. Also. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See, John is saying, there's repentance and there's forgiveness, but repentance and forgiveness should always result in fruitfulness. So don't play a game of being, have your heritage is, and you know, maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe your parents are Christians you just kind of talk the line it's, 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 not, it's not the issue at the end of the day it's what you have personally done with Jesus Christ repent be forgiven tell people about it proclaim it at a baptism and live live as he's called you to live by his grace well a lot of people are listening to this And it's really fascinating. John the Baptist, after Luke 3, man, he's gone. He just drops off the seat. Pops up again in Luke 7. And then briefly we hear about his death a few chapters later. And in Luke's gospel, that's pretty much it. And so you have to hear what he's saying here. Okay, um... The axe is already laid to it. Oh, okay, okay. It, it. And the mortal twos were questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? So, so here's John's ministry, limited ministry. And the people come and say, okay, so what does that mean for us? Now, here's what really fascinates me, folks, brothers and sisters. I want you to notice there's repentance, there's forgiveness, there's baptism, where you probably proclaim, and then you live out this life. And some people come to him and say, okay. How should we then live? And, 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 and notice the specific examples that he gives in this text. It's amazing to me because he could have said a lot of things. But notice what he says. And think about it then in your own life. Um, the multitude said, what shall we do? Verse 11, And he would answer and say to them, well, let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none. And let him who has food do likewise. And some tax gatherers also came, came to be baptized, and they said, Teacher, uh, what, what shall we do? In other words, how do we show forth that we are this new people? Well, like what, What's that look like for us? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to take. And some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Isn't that interesting? You know what he talks about? One who is a believer who should be living a different life, one way you can see that they're a believer is how they handle possessions. Right? Right? I mean, I mean it's just really I mean, I don't know if that would have been on my list. Like if John would have said, hey Doug, I'm gonna like give these guys some specific illustrations, what do you think? Well I would have said, Well but no, John says, No man, I got this one. You know. And here's here's what I've thought of. He talks about the fact that when it comes to our own things, we can either hoard or give. When my kids were really young, I had six kids. I have six kids. I had. I, had, I have six kids. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, but when they were young, I had all kinds of sermon illustrations about how brothers and sisters in Christ should be living amongst, uh, because my kids had all the negative examples in front of me. But I'm, did you ever have this example with your young kids? We'll be sitting down together, or I'll be watching them playing, um, and one of my kids has like four army whatever they are, soldiers. The other child just kind of comes and wants to, play a little bit, and I say, Matt, like, why, why don't you give one of those to Josh? These are mine. These are mine. I'm not get, you know, So he wants four of them, and the other kid sits there twiddling his fingers, and he didn't get one of them. Do, it, your kids never did that, I'm sure. My kids, you know, so you know, you always go, no, honey, we got to share. You need to get, you should at least give one, probably two, and yeah, Don't you? We go through that whole thing. But that's me. God blesses us and our families, allows us to have possessions and things. And when I hear about needs, I say, that's mine. I want four. You can't even have one. I mean, don't, don't we kind of do that same thing? I hoard because it's mine when it's not mine. It's his. And he's graced me with the privilege of stewarding it for his glory. And he says one of the ways people manifest thesel- themselves that they are Christians because they've come to know God's love. They love God, and the way they show that is by loving others. And so rather than saying, that's mine what's mine is mine because I earned it. They say, what's mine is yours because you need it. That's very different, isn't it? Well, there's also takers and leavers. We use the expression, I could either take it or leave it. We tend to want to take it, though. And that's what he says in the text here. So you have tax collectors and... And What's fascinating in the text is Jesus. Uh, John doesn't say to tax collectors no more tax collecting, does he? He just says, look, if you're going to be a tax collector you're going to be in this business thing you need to do it with integrity. Yeah, you've got to live too but don't you do it at the expense and the hurt of somebody else. You're a soldier? Yeah, you can be a soldier. Don't you ever bully up to somebody and say, I'm going to beat you up unless you give me money. I am going to start rumors about you like you can't possibly imagine. And you use your position, you abuse your authority to hurt people. He says, no. You be content. The taker says, what's yours is mine because I want it. The lever says, I wasn't thinking of Psy-Lever when I said this, but hey, there you go, but I looked at you as I said that, so I said, here we go. But the, the, leave, the leave person says, what's yours is yours because you need it. There, I, I'm not going to take from you in an inappropriate way. And when I have, I'm going to give to you. I'm not going to use you. I'm not going to abuse you. God has given you that. I will not take advantage of you. And the things I do have, I will give to you. Can you imagine if our whole country lived that way? You wouldn't need all kind of governmental systems and things to, to manipulate and all. man, it would just happen. It would just happen. And John says, "There's repentance. There's forgiveness. There's publicly proclaiming at my baptism." And there's a lifestyle change that even affects my wallet and what I own. You want to find out a lot about me? Look at my checkbook. I guess now I have to look online, right? Because people don't do the checkbook thing much anymore. But, but you know what I'm saying. John says, let's live this different life. Okay. Very quickly. Notice what happens here then in verse 15. We have some clarification by John. So. All the people are listening to this. They've heard the repentance, forgiveness, baptism, fruitfulness thing all the way through. Okay, they're picking it up. She manifests itself in the way they handle my possession. Yeah, yeah, got it, got it, got it, got it. But some people are sitting around saying, you know, maybe the coach is actually the owner of the team. Like maybe he's the really important Messiah figure that we're actually looking at. So, so all of a sudden, the, the, the people were talking around saying, hey, hey, hey. I wonder if John is not merely a prophet. I wonder if John is the Messiah. Yeah, I was thinking that too. You know, Whatever, they're having all these discussions, and John is thinking to himself, oh my goodness, that is the last thing I want people to be thinking. All I am is a pointer. That's it. So look at the clarification. Verse 15. Now, while all the people were in a state of expectation, Like, the coach is here. It's pre-season. Got to get ready for the season, okay? Now, while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he might be the Christ, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I am not fit to even take off the thong on his sandals. You know, even slaves didn't have to do all that. John is saying... I am at best a coach preparing you for the season. You need to look for the owner. And it's not me. I baptize you with water. He will come. And all of those prophecies out of the prophets about the Spirit coming and changing you from the inside, He will do that. He will transform you from the inside by His Spirit, but but I want you to know something else. He is the transforming King, who will bring the fire of judgment upon all those that will not bow and submit to Him. So I'm I'm like I'm a pointer, and He's man starting a whole new era. Baptism with the Spirit and fire. Now, it's true. From John's perspective, he thought the fire was coming right after the Spirit baptism thing. Right? He thought it was like one package. And what we know, as we continue reading and as Jesus teaches, Christ's initial coming, death, burial, resurrection, giving of the Spirit, that's what happened in the first century. We're still waiting for that ultimate fire of judgment. But it's coming. Read the book of Revelation as you are. Right? Do, do, do you see? John's thinking this. Jesus is going to tease it out and say, no, John, it's more like this. But he was right. Jesus, Jesus is king of all that stuff. He does it all. Instead, so John's saying, please do not, do not even put me close to him. I'm not even good enough to be a slave to do something with his stand. I'm nothing compared to him. Remember in John 3, after Jesus is come and John's disciples are going to Jesus which is exactly what John wants a couple of his guys come up to him and said hey can you believe this like everybody is going after and following him John says well that's what it's about I must decrease so that he might increase it always concerns me when I see high flashy preachers Who think it's all about them? We are nothing. Tim Huff is a wonderful man. But he's nothing compared to Jesus. Doug Finkbeiner, we are nothing. We we just, we are actually privileged to point. And that's that's it. And you too. And you too. quickly and then I want to make a comment about another passage and we'll wrap it up and I'll let you go Uh, he goes on to say in verse 17 his winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear the threshing floor to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire that's going to happen folks but it's still future for us okay so with many other exhortations also he preached the good news of the gospel to the people do you know that's good news When I tell you, here's where you're at. Judgment is coming. But Jesus is coming to forgive you. And you can be his forever. That's good news. And the good news is really good because you first of all hear the bad news. It's always the way it works. Look at verse 19. When Herod the Tetrarch was reproved by him on account of Herodias, his brother's wife, and on account of all the wicked things which Herod had done, He, also, he added this also to them all that he locked John up in prison. I, I want you to think about this, folks, because this is, this is really important his conclusion. Very, very important. Here's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is loving people by telling them the truth, right? I mean, John to come on the scene and say, hey, I want to use and abuse you, and, which is a lot, a lot of people do. John the Baptist comes on the scene and says, I am here. To tell you the good news, you are a sinner who needs Jesus. And in the process, Herod Antipas hears about this, and someone says, "Well, you know, he's uh, he left his wife and took another man's wife, and so." And John says, "Well, that, that that's adultery. That's what it is." Well, well, yeah, but he's uh, it's sin. He needs to know the truth too, right? He just just declares it. And instead of Herod saying, oh, Herod Antipas saying, oh, what a blessing. What a blessing. John, thank you so much. I'm going to leave her, go back to my wife. Well, what else have I done wrong so I might come to know your Savior? (laughs) Not Herod Antipas, man. No way. He's saying that. Bum. He runs around with camel hair. Like, who does he think he is? He's another mouth. Put him in prison and kill him, which takes some time. And you know what we learned from that, folks? Luke is telling us God calls all of us to be pointers to Christ. Doesn't mean people are going to like what we tell them. And it doesn't mean we're going to have a long, glorious ministry. He is preaching about a year maybe a year and a half, and he's put in prison. He's in prison for a year to a year and a half, and he's dead. All these great promises before he's born. Finally, 30 years old, he steps on the scene, he gets his chance, 31, he's in prison, 32, 33, he's dead. And if you're just living at that time, you're thinking to yourself, what a waste. But do you know what Jesus said in Luke chapter 7? Of all those born of women, there has not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Because he pointed to Jesus. Do you know what that verse goes on to say in Luke 7? I love it. I love it. The The next part of the verse says this. Jesus says, but he... That is least in the kingdom is greater than he. Do you know I'm greater than John the Baptist? Why? Because my character is so much deeper and richer and I've been through so much more than him. No way! No! John could point to Jesus more clearly than all the prophets before him. And Doug Finkbinder, and you, we, get to point to Jesus more clearly than John the Baptist. Our greatness is bound up and our ability to point to Jesus. Whether I have a year ministry or a 30-year ministry, it doesn't matter, does it? What matters is that I point to him. So, get ready. Submit to him alone. And as Carmelo was saying in his prayer, we're still telling people to get ready. John the Baptist said, get ready. And you go to Luke chapter 24, and after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus says, look, the scripture is forgiven. It is written that I must suffer, that I must resurrect, and that forgiveness from sins to repentance will be preached to the nation. Get ready. And you continue reading in the book of Acts, and again and again, Peter says, get ready. So I don't know where you are here today. I, the vast majority, I believe you're followers of Jesus Christ. But folks, let's don't play with it. If you don't know Christ, we call you to repent. That's what we call you to do. Stop going your own way. Know the joy of being a, a Christ follower. Repent. And if you have, you're forgiven. Then why don't you tell somebody about it? come, talk to Tim, talk to me, talk to one of the elders, talk to any leader and say, how do I do this baptism thing? I don't even fully understand it. We'll talk to you all about it. Be ready. And then believer, let Jesus touch every area of your life and say, I want to be fruitful for your glory even with my checkbook. Submit to him alone. And then get out of the way. John the Baptist fulfilled his ministry and stepped away. Because it's not about any one of us. It's all about him. And yet he privileges us to point to him, to talk of him, to share him. So my advice is, Get ready and get out of the way. It'll be the most significant thing you ever do by his glory, for his glory and by his grace. Father,